Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, and also let me add to Johnny's announcement of free Bibles. We'd love to put a Bible in your hands as you leave this morning if you don't have one. If you'd like to use one of the pew Bibles in front of you this morning, you'll find our reading on page 1012. I'm using a a Bible that's very special to me. It was given to me uh, by my uh, life group at Parkside Church when I was ordained, just before I I left to come here. And uh, I have a a couple from my life group here this morning. I'm not going to embarrass them by asking them to stand, but if you meet John and Carol Jones, uh, make sure that you you make them feel warm and welcome. And uh, also, Andy and Allie Blank are here from Parkside, who may just be the best people I've ever met. So if you meet Andy and Allie, be sure to welcome them as well. James chapter 3. Verses 1 to 12, page 1012 in our Pew Bibles, if you turn there with me. As we turn there, this is what we read. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to You with our Bibles open, we come expectantly, desiring to hear a word from You. We haven't gathered to hear the words of a mere man. We've come to engage by Your Spirit with Your very Word. And so we pray that as we do so, that You would come and that You would be our teacher, not only helping us to understand the words on the pages in front of us, but to transform us into the image and likeness of Christ. And we pray as I will have to use so many words this morning, that You would help my words to reflect the purity of the Lord Jesus and to accurately represent what You said. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the unique privileges that we enjoy as human beings is the ability to communicate through language. doesn't matter if we're speaking verbally, through the written word, 
or even through sign language, one of the things that's unique to us as people created in the image of God is the ability to communicate through language. Just as the God that we worship speaks, so too do we speak in His likeness. But like just about every other gift that the Lord has graciously given to human beings, we have corrupted and perverted that unique gift given to us by the Lord. We've perverted it in ways such as gossip, lying, slander, ridicule, and cursing. And I don't know about you, but if I'm speaking for myself, some of the moments that I regret most in life are the moments in which I have been guilty of those very sins. My mouth has gotten me into more trouble than I had ever bargained for. And on the flip side, some of the most painful moments in my life are those moments when I've been on the receiving end of lies, gossip, slander, bitter words, and cursing. I think we would do our children a whole lot of good if we could just scrap that silly phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I've had things said to me in my life that I would have eagerly traded a broken bone for, and I'm sure you have as well. And the problem with our speech is that despite all of our best attempts, despite all of the washing our mouths out with soap, despite all of our don't say something now that you'll regret tomorrow, or all of our watch your mouths, the problem remains. We need a better alternative to the simple moralizing that we so often fall into when we talk about the issue of our speech. And that's exactly what James is doing here in James chapter 3. You'll notice as we look at the passage in front of us that the structure of the text is difficult to discern. He uses all these metaphors, all these images to describe the tongue. John Stott, you'll remember him, one of my heroes, says in his basic introduction to the New Testament that James adds image to image in vivid, descriptive pen pictures underlining the baneful influence of the tongue out of all proportion to its size. What we're dealing with here are pen pictures. And as James drills down, stacking image upon image, he begins with our tongues and moves into our hearts to tell us very simply this morning that our tongues cannot be tamed, but that they must be transformed. That's the message of James 3, 1-12. Our tongues cannot be tamed, but they must be be transformed. He tells us in verses 1 and 2 that the tongue is an area of stumbling for all. He then moves on as he's identified the problem to tell us in verses 3 to 6 that the tongue is small and yet destructive. Not only diagnoses the problem, but then tells us how deep the problem runs. And then thirdly and finally, he tells us that the source of the problem is this. The tongue is poisoned at its source. Our tongues cannot be tamed, but they must be transformed. I want you to look with me at verses 1 and 2. The tongue is an area of stumbling for all. He begins this section on our speech in a way that would maybe be thought bizarre by some of us. It's a warning, but it's really a command. Not many of you, James says, should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 
For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. We have teachers, we have stricter judgment, we have stumbling and bridles, and we wonder in all of it, what is the logic? Well, it seems that what James is getting at here is he's talking to the young men in the congregation, those who might desire to be teachers. And he says, listen, not so fast. Don't you realize that if you're a teacher in the church of God, that you are opening yourself up to greater strictness and judgment, coupled with the reality that you, like every other human being ever to live, are completely unable to tame your tongue. Given how much you're going to use your words, do you really want to open yourself up to that kind of greater strictness? Now let's break this down for a moment. What is a teacher? The New Testament always envisions the pastor as a pastor-teacher. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul is very clear that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. Now that we have a Bible that's full and the canon is closed, there's no need for prophets or apostles. God has spoken. Finished product. So now, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Christ has given not only the apostles and the prophets, but for today, the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers, the pastor teachers, men who are called to the office of elder, responsible for leading the church, understand this through one indispensable act. There are so many things that a pastor can be involved in, but let's be clear this morning that my job here at First Baptist Church is not to entertain. My job at First Baptist Church is not to tell you interesting stories about my life. I have one indispensable duty and that is to teach the Bible. Any pastor who neglects the teaching of the Bible is in dereliction of their duty. So James says, let not many of you become teachers, pastor teachers, elders in the church, because you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Now this is a bit of a hobby horse for me, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride it for a moment. I want you to notice here that James does not say higher standard. Do you see that? He does not say higher standard. He says stricter judgment. Now, it's been said to me in the course of my life and my ministry, well, Mike, you know, that's good for you. You're a pastor, and you're held to a higher standard. Now, I have been searching for probably the last decade for this lost set of stone tablets that Moses carried down Mount Sinai that were for pastor-teachers only. I've been searching for this mysterious higher standard that I'm accountable for to no avail for quite some time. Notice that he does not say higher standard. He says stricter judgment. What does that mean? It means that me and the other elders of the church, the other pastor teachers in the church, will be judged more strictly against the backdrop of the very same standard that every Christian in all places and every generation is held to. Stricter judgment, not higher standard. Now, why is that important in this particular text? 
It's important because if you're within the sound of my voice just now, and you're not a pastor teacher, which is the overwhelming majority of us here this morning, you'd be forgiven for thinking that what James is saying here has nothing to do with you. It couldn't be further from the truth. This is not a higher standard placed upon teachers. This is the standard placed upon every Christian. Look at what he says, verse 2. We all stumble in many ways. Now, stumbling is an apt illustration for sin. A couple of weeks ago during VBS, if you saw from the video, we had this platform all decked out for, for uh, the, the Jesus Rescues theme. And during the week, I walk across this platform probably 15 times a day, I say it to my shame, to get a cup of coffee on the other side of the building. I came in, and I was looking at the setup on the platform, and I got right about to that monitor, and it, I, I, I swear to you, it felt like slow motion. I had a binder in my hand. I fell down the entire steps of the platform. Binder came flying out of my arms, slow motion, paper flying. It was like picturesque. And I fell flat on my face there at the bottom of the chairs, and I had three thoughts immediately, not in any particular order. Number one, I'm really glad nobody saw that. <laughs> number two, I wonder how badly I'm hurt. And number three, you'd think by 36 years of age I would have worked out walking by now. Now, the reason that that's such an apt illustration for sin is that when we stumble in sin, we have three thoughts generally. We're thinking correctly as believers in hindsight. Number one, I'm really glad nobody saw that. Number two, I wonder how bad it really was. And number three, you'd think that at this point in my Christian life, I would have worked this issue out. Stumbling. We all stumble, James says, in many ways, not least of which in the area of our speech. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Get this, James says, if you can control your tongue, there is not any area in human life, any area of sin, that you cannot get dominion over. Have you ever met a perfect person? The only person in the history of the universe who has ever been able to bring his tongue under tight reins is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Luke chapter 4, when Jesus begins his ministry and he begins to preach to the people, the first response recorded in Luke's gospel to the words of Jesus are the people absolutely enamored and they say, can you believe the gracious words that fell from his lips? His speech revealed him as being a cut above the rest. A perfect man, a righteous man, a gracious man, and yet we are so far from the standard. Doug Moo, one of the commentators, says, So difficult is the mouth to control, so given is it to utter the false, the biting, the slanderous word, so prone to stay open when it were more profitably closed, that the person who has it under control surely has the ability to keep in check other less unruly members of the body. No one, James says, is able to tame the tongue. Each of us this morning is convicted by the law of God as sinners in the area of our speech. But how bad is the problem, really? 
I mean, how serious is this issue of the way that we speak? We think maybe to ourselves that this is sort of a respectable sin. This is one of the biggies. And so James then begins to drill down and he tells us that the tongue is small and yet destructive. Verses 3 to 6. Now, none of us need to be taught that words are powerful. We all understand that. We understand that sort of explicitly or implicitly rather. We understand that words can communicate the height of human emotion, love, joy, bitterness. We understand that careers have ended because of a word misspoken. We celebrated just this past week the reality that when someone penned the words, when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another, a nation is born. Words are powerful. But James isn't keen to just tell us that words are powerful. He means to tell us that our words are they're destructive. Here comes the cascade of word pictures, pen pictures from James. He says, first, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Horses, these massive animals, a picture of majesty and power and glory. James would have never have thought that we would measure the power of our engines by how many horses they produce. Massive animals. And James says, do you realize that you put a harness on the horse's head and a little strap of leather across its mouth and you can make it move where you want it to move? I've been the height of technology in James' mind. Look at how massive and majestic of an animal is guided by one small leather strap. Or, he says, consider the ships. Again, massive in size, so large that it takes huge gusts of wind to drive them along, he says. Unless, of course, you've got a very small rudder and a pilot who's able to steer the ship wherever he wants because of one small peace. But more to the point, James says, consider the forest. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. All of the power that it takes to destroy a forest is in my hand right now. A small spark thrown into a brush of leaves. Forest gone. Small, powerful, destructive He says the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. It it represents the whole order of of the cosmos opposed to the Lord. The tongue embodies that. It's set among our members. It's thrown among our bodies just like a match in the forest. It stains the whole body, covering us with soot and scent and nastiness and sets on fire the entire course of life from the moment we learn the word mine. From that point forward, the tongue simply gets us into trouble. It is itself, James says, set on fire by hell. In other words, our tongues are forged in the fire of hell. They are small, just a small organ of muscle. Yet they have the power to completely determine the course of our eternal destinies, so filled they are with sin and filth. That's how deep, James says, 
the problem runs. But it goes even deeper as he continues to drill down because he tells us not only that the tongue is small and yet powerful, but he tells us that the tongue is poisoned at the source. Now this goes back to something that James has been discussing with us earlier. He said in chapter 1 that true religion, the person who truly worships the Lord of the Bible, is the person who's able to bridle their tongue. And when we discussed that, we said very simply, the principle is, when I hear your words, I see your heart. You say, I can never see anyone's heart, but I can see your words. And when you hear my words, you can see my heart. It's on display for the world to see. And most of the time, I say to my shame, it's not very pretty. When I hear your words, I can see your heart. And James tells us that the problem runs so deep that the problem isn't ultimately our speech. The problem is our hearts. Look at the way that he frames this. He says, listen, every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. We're reminded of that every time we go to the zoo. But no human being, he says, can tame the tongue. It's an absolute impossibility. Have you ever tried to correct the way that you speak? It doesn't matter how many cliches we throw out our mouths, no matter how many times we ask our friends, do you, do you kiss your mother with that mouth? Nothing is able to bring our tongues under the reign of our hearts. Why? Because the heart of the problem is the heart. Jesus said that out of the overflow of our of our. Uh, Hearts, our mouths speak. That our mouths can only produce what our hearts supply. Some of us have got it all wrong as we attempt to battle sin in our lives. We think that if we just try harder, drill down, pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, we'll be able to make a go of it. James says, there is no go of it. The problem is the source. Some of us have wells at home, and you'll know that the only way to soften the water isn't to wish that it were softer after it came out of the spout. The, problem, or the solution is to soften it before it ever comes out. And James has that same idea as he discusses the way that our words come out. He says, our, our, our language, it's, it's poisoned. It's venomous. It's serpentine. Think of Paul in Romans 3 where he says the poison of asps is on their lips. It's what comes out of our mouths. It is a restless evil. It's, it's, it's duplicitous. On the one hand, it blesses our Lord and Father, and on the next, it curses people who are made in the likeness of God. Now, we don't fully understand the weight of, of what it means to curse someone. A couple of days ago, I was watching one of those silly pawn shop shows where the people come in, they try to make a quick buck on, at, at the pawn shop, and this woman came in, the strangest thing I think I've ever seen on the show. She came in with this, this relic that had all this Latin written above it. And you know, they bring in the, in the expert to sort of interpret and explain what the thing says. And as the woman's reading the Latin on the relic, it says very clearly, anyone who buys, sells, or trades this relic, be cursed. Which sent the value just plummeting immediately. But the idea of curse was like eternal damnation, hell. That's what James is getting at. 
He's saying we have with our mouths the capacity to sing songs of praise to the Father in our gathered worship, and then to cavalierly, and I don't say this lightly, but cavalierly use throwaway comments like, go to hell. James says that cannot be. That's so unnatural. That's poisonous. That's venom. So what's the solution? He continues to drill down. He says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. In other words, our mouths can only produce what our hearts provide. So what is the solution? I cannot tame my tongue, but God will transform my heart. Some of us have yet to understand that the primary means of growth, we call it sanctification, the primary means of growth in the Christian life is a healthy and abiding relationship with the Word of God. Paul is absolutely clear that we are transformed, he says, by one degree of glory to the next in the face of the Gospel, which is the light of the glory of God in the face of Christ. It is as we behold Jesus in the Bible that we're transformed. And the only way that my words will reflect the purity of God's Word is if God's Word dwells richly within my heart. The problem is not my tongue. The problem is my heart. The only way that people will engage with me and wonder at the way that I speak is if I approximate in some way by grace to the Lord Jesus who again, Luke chapter 4, verse 22, all spoke well of Him and marveled. They were astonished. They'd never heard anything like it at the gracious words that were coming from His mouth. It is only as the Word of God, Psalm 19, that is sweeter than honey dwells richly within me that honey will come forth from my mouth. So this message is relevant to all of us who intend on speaking this week. How will you speak in a God-honoring, glorifying way that builds people up rather than tears people down? How will you replace slander, backbiting, gossip, lies with blessing, encouragement, kindness, and grace? Only by having an amazing view of the glory of God in the face of Christ. John Newton, my absolute hero, wrote probably the best piece I've ever read on this text, on the government of the tongue. And he says in that piece, let us think of these things and entreat the Lord to cast the salt of His grace into the fountain of our hearts that the streams of our conversation may be wholesome. We all have a problem. Our problem is that our mouths are full of venom and cursing. The problem runs so deeply 
that the course of our lives are determined by the words that we speak. But the solution is so effective, has never failed, will never fail. The transforming power of the grace of God in the gospel of Christ. You know, I sit in my office every week preparing for James. And I think to myself, you know, at least they only have to spend 30 minutes with this after hours of study. It reminds me of, there's a, a professor who used to say to his students in theological college, he would assign John Owen to them, and he would say to them when he gave them the book, gentlemen, this is good reading, but prepare for the knife. And I feel like every week as we open James, we've the knife of God's Word kind of come at us and cut us in our hearts and reveal our sin and our wickedness and our shame. But we need to understand that these wounds are healing wounds. That these are gracious wounds. That these are wounds from the sword, as the hymn says, that makes the wounded whole. These are wounds that reveal to us our need for Jesus within the deepest recesses of our being. There is no moving on advancement in the Christian life. There is no likeness to Jesus that happens apart from Jesus. Oh, how indebted we are to grace. I can't even speak as I ought without Jesus' enabling power at work in my heart. And neither can you. Our tongues simply cannot be tamed. And the reason they cannot be tamed is taming indicates human effort. Can't happen. Oh, but God can transform a heart. And He's happy to reward the one who humbly admits their inability, their dependence. Or I got a filthy mouth. Help me. Oh, friends, that is a prayer you can take to the bank. God delights to answer. Tongues cannot be tamed. They must be transformed. Praise God for His grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for how clearly You diagnose the problem of our heart manifests itself in the fruit of our lips. We're capable of praising You and and worshiping You and even preaching messages from Your Word. And then at the very same time, we're capable of tearing down and cursing and gossiping and slandering and lying. Lord, we are so in need of Jesus. And we come confessing all of this to You. You know everything. You know our hearts. You search us and You know us. And so we don't tell You anything that You don't know. We're we're just simply agreeing with You in light of Your Word. We need You to be at work in our hearts so that we can speak rightly. And it's our desire as we follow Jesus that people would hear the way that we speak and say, oh my goodness, did you hear the gracious words which came out of his or her mouth? And the only way that gracious words will come out of our mouths is if you're in our hearts. So help us to let the word of Christ dwell richly within us.
to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we behold the beauty of Jesus in the written word. Father, we commit our lives to you, our hearts to you, our speech to you. We pray that you would make us like yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.